In this short cast, Dr. Rachel Carling presents an investigation of the relationship between phenylalanine in venous plasma and capillary blood using volumetric blood collection devices, published in October 2023. Patients with phenylketonuria are routinely monitored by the analysis of phenylalanine in dried blood spot specimens, and they have been for a long time. It's fair to say this is a well-established test in pretty much every metabolic biochemistry lab. However, this doesn't mean it's a perfect test, and actually it's prone to several limitations, all of which can impact on the reported phenylalanine result. So firstly, labs tend to use different methods of analysis, which can introduce measurement bias. And we also use different calibration materials to standardise our results against, and this can then add to the bias. We use dried blood spot specimens to monitor patients with PKU because they're simple and convenient to collect, and it allows patients to self-sample from home. But obtaining good quality dried blood spot specimens can actually prove to be quite tricky. And if the specimen isn't of good quality, this can also bias the result. In fact, often more significantly than the analytical factors that I've just mentioned. So the reason this is important is because patients are managed using the European Management Guidelines, which specify consensus age-related target treatment ranges, and they give three key clinical decision points, 120, 360, and 600 micromoles per litre. So laboratory results need to be both standardised and harmonised to the method used to establish the guidelines if we're to ensure a consistent approach. However, to add an extra layer of complexity to the situation, the management guidelines are based on evidence from more than 15 different studies which weren't standardised, used different methodologies and measured phenylalanine in different types of specimens with blood, plasma and dry blood spot results being used interchangeably, despite there being numerous reports in the literature that there was differences of between 15 and 28% between plasma and dry blood spot phenylalanine results. So we were keen to try and unpick some of this confusion by comparing phenylalanine concentrations in paired venous plasma and capillary dry blood spot specimens collected from patients with PKU. Previously, the issues associated with consistently obtaining good quality dry blood spot specimens had made this challenging because the potential bias associated with the poor quality specimen can easily be greater than the differences due to method-related bias. But the recent introduction of the Capitano QDBS collection device has made this possible. So the Capitano device is just an alternative to the conventional filter paper collection, and it simply provides a means of consistently collecting a good quality dry blood spot specimen of fixed volume, which isn't possible with the conventional filter paper device. So the aim of our study was to compare venous plasma phenylalanine with capillary dry blood spot phenylalanine in patients with PKU and by performing both sets of measurements using liquid chromatography tandem mass spectrometry, which is the gold standard method of analysis. And by using a common calibration material, we were able to negate for any measurement bias. And then by using the Capitana collection device instead of the conventional filter paper collection device, we were able to exclude any inaccuracies associated with poor quality specimens. So the results of our study were interesting and indicate that once recovery is accounted for, phenylalanine levels in plasma and dry blood spot specimens are, within experimental error, the same. So in terms of impact on current practice, I think our study raises a question of whether continuing to monitor patients with PKU using conventional filter paper collection devices is acceptable. If accuracy and precision of phenylalanine measurements are important, our results indicate that change is required, particularly in those patient subgroups where accurate and more precise results and the avoidance of sample rejection due to quality issues could improve clinical care. So, for example, in children, in pregnant women and during suproptorin responsiveness testing. 
I hope this shortcast has given you some food for thought and I'd like to thank you for your time listening. I'd also like to thank the patients who participated in the study and of course my co-authors. If you'd like to read more about our study, please visit the JIMD Reports webpage or click on the link in the podcast description.